Amen. All right, the Esther's will bring by those buckets, uh, those baskets. Hey, uh, again, if we haven't met before, my name is Benjur. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and just glad that you're here. I'm glad to meet you if you're joining us uh, as a guest today. Um, last week, uh, as Pastor Josh, our lead pastor, mentioned, we wrapped up um, a great month-long series, just, just walking through um, what it means to read the Bible and its authority for our life. Um, next week, um, I, as if you needed another reason to come to Sunday at the park, it's going to be amazing. Um, um, but he's going to start a short series next week that you don't want to miss. Um, there's actually going to be some stuff going on in this room in a couple of weeks that you don't want to miss. So make sure you're here next week. Today, we're kind of sandwiched between those two uh, series. And so as we get started, um, here's a scenario I want you to have in mind. Um, when you go to Walmart or Lowe's, uh, maybe Home Depot, something like that, when you go to one of these places and you show up and you just, you just need uh, you know, something and you're doing your shopping list and maybe there's something on your list or maybe there's something you went and you intended to get, but it's not in the aisle where you thought it should be, right? So you, you go and you, you, whatever section it is, you look up and down the aisle and you can't find it, right? Here's my question to you. How long are you willing to walk around that store and look for that thing without having to ask for help from somebody in a blue vest, a red shirt, or an orange apron, Right? Some of, some of you actually, some, did you, some of you jab your spouse on that one? I think you did, okay? All right, maybe we need to ask this question. How many people, that threshold is at least 10 minutes? Like you are willing, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm shopping around. I'm talking intently looking for this item for at least 10 minutes before you're willing to ask somebody for help. Come on now, come on, don't make me feel foolish. Yeah, there we go, there we go. I love it. That's a, my wife is laughing at me right now. <laughs> She's over here if you want to talk to her afterwards. Just... Just a question, how many, how many is that's like 20 minutes? Like I thought 10 was pretty long. Anybody that's like at least 20 minutes, have you ever done that in the store? Yes, I have too. Thank you, there's two of us. Um, we will confess later. Here's, there's, there's some of that in all of us, right? And if you just gave your spouse a hard time, whatever it is, you, know, you are not immune. There's another place in your life, maybe at work, you've got a project going on or something, something's happened, you've been given a task or responsibility and you've hit a wall or you've hit a roadblock and you can't figure it out. You will, you will gladly work extra hours without pay than have to go to your boss and ask for help or have to go to your coworker and ask for help. Like there's something in this in all of us. And we can laugh at it, um, but, but I think if we're honest, there's... there's there's also some of this when it comes and it relates to our relationship with God. Now, you may be here, you may not be a follower of Jesus. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but for those of us who, who call ourselves a follower of Jesus, um, when, when something is happening in life, when, when, when we realize we're in over our head, we realize there's an issue, um, for some reason, that, that God handle, so to speak, is, is really the first thing that we'll pull. Really, the first thing we do is go to God and say, I'm going to spend some time in prayer and, and just see what God has to say about this. I'm going to do my reading plan, but, but I'm going to be mindful of this question as I'm reading my Bible every day. No, many times it's the last resort. It's the, the last handle that we'll pull, like in case of emergency. This is true of most of us. How do I know? Because I'm a pastor, all right? Nobody ever calls me. Nobody ever calls somebody at this church and says, hey, Benjer, um, you know, my wife and I yesterday, we got into just a, a little argument. It wasn't really bad, but, but we each thought the other person was going to go to the grocery store. Neither of us went to the grocery store, and now we don't have milk or eggs or whatever it is. And I'm just a little concerned about what this might mean for our relationship and for our future. Nobody does that. When you, when you call us and, and you end up maybe talking with one of us here at the church, um, you're sitting on a couch and you're not talking to each other anymore. Or there's only one of you in that room because the other one has left. 
Nobody ever fills out a prayer request and says, man, last week was, was my brother-in-law's wedding and, you know, there was an open bar and I probably had two or three drinks too many and I'm a little concerned about what that means for, for my life and, and, and I just want to talk to somebody about that. No, you ask for prayer, you ask for help when you've lost everything, when you've lost your job, when you've lost your family. What is it about us that refuses to ask for help and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what is it about us that, that doesn't seem to go to God the, the, the first time when something rears its ugly head? Again, it's funny when we search around Lowe's for a particular screw and we won't ask for help, but it's not so funny when it happens in our life. This is what we're going to be working through today. Now, just in case uh, you get distracted or your kid's number flashes up on the screen and, and they're thrown up in the nursery or whatever it is, just in case, let me tell you where we're going to land this plane today, all right? It won't make much sense up front, but just to let you know where we're going to land this plane, all right? When it comes to this idea and our relationship with God, what God asks of you and me is surrender. What God asks of you and me is surrender. What does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack that. It may not make much sense right now. But to walk through this idea, we're going to be looking through a passage in the Old Testament um, about a Syrian general and a prophet from Israel. Syrian general's name is Naaman, and the prophet's name is Elisha. Some of you are like, well, isn't it Elijah? No, there's actually two because uh, we need to be confused. So there's Elijah and there's Elisha. Elisha was kind of the mentee of Elijah. And so what we're going to be looking at today is, is something having to do with the prophet Elisha and an issue that Naaman had. We're going to be in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. Um, if you want to flip there right now, you can open that up. If you didn't bring your Bible or you forgot yours, there's a blue Bible underneath your seat. You're going to want a Bible. You can flip to page 343 in that Bible. If uh, you don't have a Bible, if you, if, if you lost yours or you, you'd never had one um, and you'd like one that, that's easy to read, do me a favor. Take that Bible, grab a pen, put your name in it. That is your Bible. We want those to walk out the door. We want you to take those. Um, they're our gift to you, and you're welcome to have that one. So as we read 2 Kings chapter 5, would you do me a favor? Would you please stand if you are able out of reverence for the word of God as we read chapter 5 verses 1 through 14 and we look and explore this idea that what God asks of you and me is surrender. Chapter 5 verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. She's talking about Elisha. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, that's a lot of money, that's 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, now come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned, and he went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So here's the situation. Naaman is a Syrian general. Naaman, according to his point of view, life is going amazing. You can't ask for much better than, than, than Naaman's life. Right? He's in good with his boss because he's really good at his job. He's a general. He wins all these battles. He's popular because he's such a great man of valor. Now, the author of First and Second Kings, as we read, um, adds a little tidbit in there. It's not something Naaman would have said about himself, um, but the, the author of First and Second Kings said, you ought to know this. Um, you should know that the reason why he's gotten so much victory is because of the Lord. Right? But Naaman wouldn't say that himself. He is proud about himself. He is proud about what he has accomplished. And maybe you and I would be as well. But Naaman has a problem. Now, we're not told when this problem starts. We don't know exactly how long it was before Naaman started realizing that I am, I am in trouble. may have started off as, as a little rash. may have started off uh, maybe as spreading a little bit. We don't know exactly what it was, but, but Naaman had leprosy. Now, that could have referred to, to any number of conditions. It could have been something where boils start spreading all over his skin, it could have been uh, the disease where the nerve endings weren't working right. So when he, he would prick himself or he would cut himself, he wouldn't realize it because it wouldn't cause him pain. And that would cause uh, different, different issues like infections. And, and eventually he would lose fingers. He would maybe even lose limbs and maybe even lose his life. Whatever it was, Naaman was in trouble. Look at verse 1. Naaman had everything he wanted. He was, he was the commander of the, king of, of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man. He was in good with his boss. He was popular, and he was a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. Those last five words could cause him ruin, if not take his, own, take his very life. At the very least, he would be seen as weak and, and, and lose his position and lose everything and live a miserable existence. It could even take his life. But there was a solution that presented itself. You see, on, on one of his battles, in one of his little skirmishes um, with Israel, they, they were not on good terms. And, and even in times of peace, you know, at the border, there would be kind of uh, volleys back and forth. There would be little battles. On one of these skirmishes, um, Syria, somebody from Syria, took somebody from Israel captive, a little girl. Might have been a preteen, might have been a young teenager. But she was taken from her family, taken from her land, and, and was put into slavery and served Naaman's wife. Before we go any further, we just, we just have to sit with this girl's situation. I mean, at the, at the very least, best case scenario, during one of these skirmishes, she was just simply taken prisoner and nobody could do anything. And she was forced into slavery. 
At worst, she saw her family brutally murdered before her very eyes, before she was shackled and taken to Syria. Whatever exactly happened, here she is in this situation where the very man who caused her so much pain now faced a disease that would cause him ruin. I mean, isn't that poetic justice? We don't know. We're not told exactly what went through her heart, what went through her mind. We don't know if she wrestled with decision. All we know is that the text tells us at a certain point, she decided to tell the one that she served, Naaman's wife, hey, man, there's a guy in Israel that God works through him and he can be healed. That in itself is incredible. Now, Naaman hears of this. And so he goes to his boss, and, and his boss kind of knows his situation. The boss says, yeah, absolutely, because his boss wants him to be well. The king wants him to be well. He's gaining all these victories. So his boss, the king, sends a letter to the king of Israel, which is Joram at this time. And, and, and off Naaman goes. He's got these gifts of 750 pounds of silver, his 150 pounds of gold, uh, an incredible wardrobe. And he goes off, and he goes to Samaria, the capital of Israel. Now, at this time, Israel was split up into, uh, into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. After the third king of Israel, there was this political dispute, and so the northern kingdom is, is where he goes. And in Samaria, he goes to the palace, and, and he meets the king of Israel. Your message is for the king of Israel. And the king of Israel freaks out. I mean, he says, who am I? I mean, am I God? Am I in the place of God that I can, I can give life and take it away? Can I, can I? Only God can do that. See, in his point of view, the king of Syria is just trying to pick a fight. That if he says no to this general, the general has orders that, fine, we're just going to take you over if you won't do what we want. So he tears his clothes, he begins to mourn, but Elisha hears of this and he says, no, no, hold on. Send him to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel, that there is one true God. So off he goes. And he takes, he packs up the 750 pounds of silver, Packs up the 150 pounds of gold. Packs up this immaculate, incredible wardrobe. And off he goes with his horses and chariots to Elisha's house. Right? Knocks on the door. Right? Elisha doesn't answer the door. A messenger answers the door. In fact, it was something that we might consider the intern you know, is sent to, to give him this message. He said, well, you know, Elisha's busy. Sorry. Um, but I got good news. I was sent to tell you that all you have to do is go wash in the Jordan River. It's a, it's a few miles from here. You'll have, to, you'll have to head there. But go wash in the Jordan River. Do it seven times, and you're good to go. Life will be okay for you. Naaman hears this, and he's furious. Look at verse 11. See how Naaman responds. Chapter 5, verse 11. But Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I thought he would make a big deal out of this. I thought there would be a show. I thought there would be some sort of worship service. I thought that when somebody important comes and, and asks for help from God, that this is what God would do. Are not Abana and Farpar, the, the rivers of Damascus where I'm from? All right, they're cleaner than the Jordan, I'll tell you that much. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. I mean, this is, this is incredible. In front of Naaman is exactly what he wanted, isn't it? 
I mean, he had this issue, and, and, and surely he, he tried to, to hide it and maybe ignore it and said, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's going to be fine. And when it began to grow, and he said, man, this is, this is trouble. I am in trouble. He sought for help. Maybe he sought religious help, spiritual help in Syria. Certainly, he sought out the best physicians money could buy and his position uh, would warrant in, in Syria, right? To no avail. He is desperate. And here he comes, and the solution is right before him, and he is angry. Isn't this exactly what he wanted? I think if we dig in and we look at his reaction, we'll see it's not exactly what he wanted. See, what Naaman wanted is to be the hero of his own story. Naaman, you see his reaction. He says, wasn't this going to be a big deal made about me? Aren't I an important general? Right? I mean, I, I could wipe you all out. Like, why don't you come out and say, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Certainly, you know, there's this prophet. He'd make a big deal of the whole thing and he'd wave his hand and I would be healed. I brought all these gifts. I want to be able to give these gifts to somebody. He wanted to be the hero of his own story. He wanted to be able to walk away and say, yeah, I walked up there and man, they were scared. They were impressed. They heard everything I did and they saw all the stuff that I, they had no choice. Their God had no choice but to heal me. Naaman wanted to be the hero of his own story, which is laughable. I mean, when you, when you consider his situation, if he could have ignored the problem away, he would have done it. If he could have found something, some sort of cure, he would have done it by now. If there was something he had not been able to purchase, if there was something that he had, he had not sought out, if there was a physician in all the land of Syria that could help him, that would be one wealthy physician by now. He would have fixed his own problem if he could have. But he couldn't. He is desperate. And here he's going to walk away from the solution because he wants to be the hero of his own story. A few years ago, I had surgery on my left knee. Uh, it had been from an, an injury from when I was a kid and then, and then uh, made worse in college playing soccer and, and eventually got to the point where I couldn't run without pain. I couldn't hike. Uh, my, my health wasn't great. It, it, it's just finally I went to the doctor and I had surgery. I had great physical therapist. Right? Even to the point where a few months ago, I was, I was able to run a marathon. I mean, this is good stuff. Wouldn't it have been ridiculous if after that surgery, if somebody said, hey, how'd it go? I said, well, it was great. I mean, what do you expect? I'm amazing. I am the best orthopedic surgeon money can buy. And I say, Benjamin, you went to math camp, not medical school, okay? That would be ridiculous. If I tried to make myself the hero of my own story, you'd laugh at me. But here is Naaman wanting to be in the driver's seat, wanting to be the hero of his own story. Maybe. Maybe. Is, is, is there a part of us? Is there a little bit of Naaman in us that we would like to admit, we, we don't want to admit is there? Is there more of Naaman in us than we would like to admit? I mean, something that happens, and this is, this, is, this is maybe just a pet peeve, I don't know, but if you've been in church a long time, I, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes we flip through these, these, these stories, and these are amazing stories that happen, that, that, that God worked in these incredible men and women, these amazing things. But sometimes we look at these stories and we go, wow, look at Ruth, look at David, look at what happened here, and we see him say, what did they do so that I can do the same thing and, and, and manipulate God into doing exactly what I want? 
When we approach these stories in that way, we want to be the heroes of our own story, right? We start to, to look at these stories and say, well, what, what can I do to get God to do what I want? And that's ridiculous because these people are not the heroes of their own story. God is the, is the heroes of their story. God is the heroes of our stories. But if we're honest, we would rather find a solution that makes us come out looking better than we do. We would like to find a solution that makes us come out smelling far better than we do. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe there's something happening in your marriage. And you know it's there and you know it's difficult. But you would rather not ask for help because you don't want to be in a situation where you have to admit <laughs> I'm part of the problem. Maybe there's an addiction issue. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's porn, maybe it's, it's a substance of some kind. And you know that you need help and you've been invited to a recovery program. You've invited to seek out help. But, but if you're honest, you don't want to go somewhere where you're going to have to admit that you are powerless over your situation. We frequently seek solutions first that make us look better than we really are. I would rather be able to say, yeah, I found that part in Lowe's all by myself. I would rather say, yeah, I was able to fix my situation all by myself than have to stand before a holy God and say, God, I, I've got nothing. And Naaman eventually comes to his senses because of the help of, of one of his servants. But until that point, until Naaman finally does that, there was one thing, he had all this to bring to the table. He had all this wealth, all these resources, all this experience, this incredible resume, and he brings it all to the table. But there was one thing he wasn't willing to bring, and that one thing was nothing. See, Naaman wanted to be in the driver's seat. Naaman was not willing to surrender. Well, we can't blame him. He was a general. He wasn't used to surrendering. Many times when we use that word, we think of, 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 of a battle or maybe a war and, and one person surrenders. But, it, but it's so much more than that. Naaman needed to surrender to a holy God and admit that he was powerless. Eventually, Naaman not only becomes clean, but he also declares. We don't know what happened in his heart. We don't know what happened after this. But he declares publicly that the God of Israel was the God of the universe. He surrenders to God. Because what God asks of you and me is surrender. And this is, this is so difficult. As I was puzzling over this, was kind of working through this, you know, there's so much that, that Naaman does that we realize, well, what happened here? Yeah. Was it because he was obedient? Well, sort of. But surrender is so much more than obedience. Because if you think about it, if Naaman had been told, if, if Elisha came out and he said, hey, Naaman, I know you're a great general. I want you to go risk your life. I want you to go invade these armies. I want you to bring me this prize, whatever it might be. You know, slay the five dragons like the fairy tales. Whatever it is, I want you to go do it and then come back and be healed. Naaman would say, I can do it because that makes me the hero. He would have obeyed that. But surrender is so much more than just obedience. Surrender is saying, God... My way is not working. My way is death. I surrender myself to you. It's more than just trust because it's more than just believing that God can do something. It's more than just believing that, that God will do something or that he is able. It's saying no matter the outcome, no matter the outcome, I place my life in your hands. That is what it means to surrender. 
Now, in, in, in Naaman's instance, we're, we're talking about healing leprosy. But as we, as we step back from this story, we step back and see what God did at this point in history, we see what it means to come before Jesus and accept his offer of forgiveness. Because let's be honest, if there is a way to be forgiven, many times in our, in our relationship with God, we would rather there be a solution that makes us come out looking better than we really do. We want there to be some sort of, so we wouldn't say this out loud, right? But we want there to be a solution that requires God to do something in our life. Now, we wouldn't put it quite that clearly. Come on, we've all bargained with God in some way. We've been saying, God, God, haven't you noticed? I mean, I've been to church three Sundays in a row. It's Labor Day. I could be camping, and here I am. God, come on, come on, come on. We bring nothing to the table but our own brokenness. When we surrender to God, what we admit is that we are powerless over our sin, that we are powerless over our brokenness, that we are powerless over death, that we have no answer on our own, and it is only God who can provide the answer. And the answer that he has provided is through Jesus, his only son, who died for you and for me. Some of you are here, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. I'm glad that you're here. We are glad that you're here this morning. Could it be, just, just get a little personal, could it be that part of the reason, you, you, you love the music, you've, you've realized, yeah, I really do think that, that the Jesus of the Bible is, 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 is really who Jesus was. I really think that he died and rose again from the dead. I really believe that he is God. Could it be that you have not stepped over that line of faith because it would require you to submit yourself before God and say, God, I am powerless over my situation. I am powerless over my brokenness. I am powerless over sin. And so I submit myself to you. Could it be that you don't want that one solution to be true that doesn't put you in the driver's seat? Maybe you're on the flip side of that coin. Maybe, maybe you, you, like Naaman, somehow believe that if you bring all this to God, he'll have to do something for you. But you realize, you look at your life, and you're like, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, so I can't come to the table. I've got nothing because I've got no resources. Have you seen my life? It is a train wreck. It is still a train wreck. I'm still on the tracks. It is still a train wreck. I've got nothing to bring before God. That is exactly the best time to come before God, admitting that you bring nothing to the table but your own brokenness and to submit to God. If you have stayed away, if you have not yet crossed that line of faith, if you have thought, man, God, God will not have me because I don't have these resources. God will not have me because I, I don't have a great past. God will not have me because of my brokenness. You are mistaken. What God asks of you is surrender because he knows. He knows. Today, September 2nd, is a great day to surrender yourself Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. I don't know about you, but, but in my life, I find this idea that I would rather God be, be an emergency handle. I, I find it slipping into my life again and again. I'm a pastor. I want to come out looking better than I do because I want people to respect me. I don't want the solution to be to admit that I don't have a clue how to handle this situation. Maybe you're in that boat 
and it's time. Maybe there's something going on in your life, and you've, like Naaman's leprosy, you've tried to hide it. You've tried to ignore it. You've tried to apply your own resources to the situation, your own expertise. You've tried to say, I've got this. I can figure it out. I can manage the outcome. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. I can control this. I can manage it. But you can't. But you can't. Maybe your step today is just like Naaman to to say, God, I'm, I'm open to your solution. Even if your solution means opening myself up and admitting who I really am. Maybe your next step is to say, God, I am powerless over this addiction, over this issue in my marriage, in my family. Here's the hard thing about surrendering. Let me just be honest for a moment. Surrendering isn't, okay, I've got a list of things I want God to do. And so if I maybe do what God wants me to do, if I surrender, then he'll do what I want him to do. That's not surrender. That's bartering. Bartering. That's bargaining. The difficult thing about surrender is to say, God, yeah, I've got my list. And God cares about your list. He weeps when you weep. He sees your struggles. But to surrender to him means, I'm going to stop demanding that you accomplish these things on my life. And I just surrender to you. And God, even if these things don't improve, even if that job doesn't come through, even if they take the house, even if things don't improve in my marriage, even if this illness doesn't go away and it ends in death, even if this issue is here with me till the end of my life, I surrender all to you. Because to do that is to admit that God is the God of the universe. To do that is to admit that we are powerless over sin, brokenness, disease, and death. And that Jesus came to save us. And we surrender, saying that there is no work except for Jesus' work on the cross that can save us. It's a hard place to be. We got another doctor's appointment this week. It's a hard place to be. When it's another week without work, that's a hard place to be. When you want to save your marriage, but your spouse doesn't, it's a hard place to be. When you're addicted and you relapse, it's a hard place to be. But to surrender to God is the only safe place to be. And for some of us, that's hard because we have not grown up with an image of God who is loving. God is not a tyrant. He is a loving father. And to surrender is the only safe place for you and me to be. Just imagine five, ten years from now, looking back on this day, September 2nd, looking back on a season where you're finally, you maybe slowly, maybe quickly, maybe you just gave it all up, but you, you surrendered yourself and you admit, I am powerless, but, but God, I trust you. And wherever you are leading, whatever you are doing, whatever you want me to do, I am there. Don't you want to look back on the last five or 10 years and see that in your life? It won't be easy. But I tell you this much, when we flip through these pages, and we see God doing incredible things in the lives of these men and women, when you dig in, you realize, man, they are messed up in a lot of ways. 
God didn't do those things because they were such amazing people. God did those things because they surrendered to him. May that be our story. May that be our turning point. May this be the day when finally we are willing to hand over our lives to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, do you know I am a mess? I confess that there are so many times where I first seek a solution that would have me coming out looking better than I really am. That many times the first times I ask for help, I put on an air of self-righteousness because I don't want people to see the real me. God, heal us. Yes, of our brokenness, but heal us of this desire to be in the driver's seat, of this desire to be in control. Help us to hand our lives to you, the God of the universe, the only safe place for them to be. And God, yes, because you are so glorious and you are so holy, but also because you are so loving and merciful and you sent your son Jesus. When we, when we deserved death and we had no hope, he died the death that we deserve so that we could live. God, thank you for him. May we rest in that work alone, surrendering our life to the one who loved us enough to die for us and rise again from the dead. God, we pray these things in his name. Let all the people say,